Well, as you're finding your seat, I invite you to go ahead and turn in a Bible to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, you can also look in your bulletin on page 8. But again, our sermon text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4. This is the fourth part of our Advent series, a series I've entitled The Advent Saga. Again, as we see the full story that culminates in Jesus. And again, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it reads, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You've heard me say before, I always think of Star Wars long ago in a galaxy far, far away, okay? Well, this is an even better story. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as a name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. As I've mentioned, and as you undoubtedly know, this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. This is officially a Christmas Sunday, the final Sunday of preparation that, of course, leads us to uh, the celebration of Christmas Eve and, of course, Christmas Day itself. And so along those lines, we have continued these few weeks to build uh, the structure on which Christmas stands. Just like in your own life, you've been making preparations, I'm sure, all month, uh, gathering wish lists and gathering Christmas presents, you know, uh, sending out holiday greeting cards and putting lights on your house. There is this, you know, this, um, this edifice, right, this operation of Christmas that we have to build it kind of week by week that all culminates, of course, into the celebration with family and with friends, you know, around the Christmas tree on Christmas Day. Well, so it is with the actual story of Christmas, the actual Advent saga, as we've entitled this series, that there are pieces that have gone before. There are building blocks, if you will. Think of Lincoln Logs or, or Legos, right? There are building blocks that build up into the culmination of Christmas, the arrival of Jesus. And so the first Sunday of Advent, we looked, as you know, at the fall where did it all begin? Why is there a need for a Savior? Why is there a need for Advent? Well, of course, the first building block is a negative one, if you want to think of it that way. It's the fall of man. The fall of mankind, sin entering the world, requires an ultimate deliverer and an ultimate Savior. The second Sunday, we looked at the law. So you have the fall, then you have the law, where again, God began to speak to his people more poignantly, more intentionally, if you want to call it that way, and he speaks to them and to us ultimately through the law, the law of God which was given to remind us and to, and to uh, define even further our sin 
and our need for saving. So again, building block one, episode one, the fall. Episode two, the second Sunday, the law. And then last week, the third Sunday, the third building block on which Advent stands are the prophets. The prophets. And we made mention that, again, if, um, if the law of God is our schoolmaster, if the law of God is our teacher, teaching us the lesson that we need saving, And that's what Paul himself called it. The law was our teacher, our guardian, our schoolmaster, teaching us the lesson that we need saving. If that is the case, then the prophets are sort of like the teachers under that that ultimate teacher. They are the faculty, if you will, in the school of the law. And so the prophets were given by God over the course of history, particularly in the Old Testament, and then even into the New Testament with John the Baptist. The prophets were given to, again, drive home the Lord's message that he is a faithful God. Yes, we've strayed. Yes, we've sinned. Yes, there is judgment and exile even in this life because of our sin. But God is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. And he will come back. He will not leave us or forsake us. He will always save us and Deliver us. And so today, then, we now look again, the fourth Sunday, the fourth building block, at how this story all culminates theologically. And I say theologically because on Christmas Eve, we will look at how the story culminated historically, right? We'll look at the actual birth narrative of Christ, and we'll see the the historical culmination, if you will, of the story in the physical birth of Jesus long ago in Bethlehem. But today in Hebrews, we see, if you will, the theological culmination of the story. We see a guy, an author, we don't know who he was, which is a great mystery, but we see the author of Hebrews tying a thread now tying a thread through the entire story and showing us now how it all ties this nice theological bow at the end. And if you notice, again, if you go back into Hebrews 1 and look at the text itself, if you notice, it all begins with God speaking. God speaking. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. The first thing we see here is that in matters of salvation, God is always the initiating party. He's always the one with whom it starts. That God, again, he speaks the world into being. Before we were even a thought, you know, before, uh, before we were even here on the scene, before we even existed or more, more importantly thought of him, we're told in scripture over and over again that he was thinking of us. That he was busy creating a world in which we could live, creating a world in which life could happen, creating a world in which there would be fellowship with one another and fellowship with him, the creator. That he was speaking. He spoke the world into existence. And so this is very important for us to remember, though, because we live in a time, we live in a day and age where we're often told that we kind of bring God, you know, we bring deity, we bring whatever it might define, we bring God into our lives. We bring God into our conversation, right? We're talking all day long, we're building our lives, we're on social media, we're building careers, you know, our life is one big conversation about us. And oh, by the way, we make time for God if we're able. And we kind of fold him into our conversation. But the text, the scripture says it's the opposite. 
That God is always the initiating party. God is speaking the world into existence. And we are brought into that conversation that's already happening. And so we keep going, and he says that after we sinned, God continued to speak, though, did he not? He speaks the world into existence. But then again, thinking back to week one, when we fall, he continues to speak. In Genesis 3, 15, he spoke a promise that we would not be abandoned or forsaken, that he would ultimately send a deliverer, a rescuer. He would send a promised one. And then, to know that more, again, intentionally and articulately, he spoke the law. So he speaks creation, he speaks a promise, he speaks the law through his prophets. And so again, what the author of Hebrews here makes plain is that contrary to you know, the God of, let's say, like deism, right, which is actually a, a pretty popular way of thinking today, even though it's a, you know, a philosophy from long ago, Deism is really kind of the prevailing thought of today, right? That God, you know, whoever that is, that God started the world, he kind of wound it up like a clock, he wound it up like a toy, you know, that annoying toy that like chomps and walks across the floor, right? He wound the world up, then he just walked away. Then he just walked away and left us on our own. And yes, some people find salvation, some people find redemption, some people find peace and harmony, but ultimately, God kind of just made things and walked away and left us to our own devices. But no, Hebrews here says, from the beginning, God has been speaking and initiating and communicating and pursuing, pursuing humanity. And again, contrary to the other God of today that we're told often, that we have to kind of create our own God, define our own God, again, Hebrews comes in and says, no, no. God's always been there, always speaking, again, always initiating. And so we see here that in Hebrews, this theology that every word of God, every word of God, the word of creation, the word of the law, the word of the prophets, each word, if you will, revealed a little bit more of God's character. What do we see in creation? If nothing else, what do you know about God in creation? When you look at the ocean or the mountains, you know, whatever it might be, the sunset, what do you know in creation? Wow, God's powerful. He's powerful. He's majestic. He's artistic even. What do you, th- what do you learn about law, uh, God and the law? What does the law reveal? God's holy. God is utterly holy. That nothing imperfect, nothing out of place ultimately can dwell in his presence. That he's holy. And what do you see in the prophets, even, in their words? The word of God through the prophets. What do you learn in the prophets? God wants to be with us. God's relational. He comes down to our level. He lives among us, even. He speaks to us. He walks with us. Emmanuel, again, God with us. So every word of God that's spoken reveals a little bit more of his character. But what's amazing, in Advent... And the reason Advent is such a big deal, and Christmas particularly is such a big deal, is that all of these previous words of God, the word of creation, the word of the law, the word of the prophets, all of these previous words of God ultimately find fulfillment in his last word, his final word, the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, to use John 1. What does Hebrews here say? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God was speaking. 
But, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us once again, finally, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, Jesus is the punchline, if you will, in the great conversation of God, the great comedy of God. Think of it that way, even. Jesus is the punchline in the joke. All of human history is ultimately a comedy, is it not? It's a comedy. Why? Comedies and tragedies, if you're familiar in literature, right? Tragedies start high, but where do they end? They end low. Where do comedies begin? They start low, they end high. They end on the high note. Don't think just a comedy like ha-ha, you know, laughter. But the literary terms, the genres of these things, a comedy starts low, but it ends high. And you see, that's scripture. It starts low in the garden, the fall of man, but it ends high, the punchline of the gospel that you can be forgiven, that God is setting all things right. So Jesus, the last word, the final word, the punchline in the conversation of God, finds all of these words now coming together in his existence, in his life. And Hebrews 1 here tells us that Jesus is the best and final word of God by virtue of three things. We'll look at them very briefly. Three things. His prominence, his position, and his purpose. Jesus is the final and last and best form of God's communication or God's revelation by virtue of his prominence, his position, and his purpose. And all three of those things are seen in these four verses. So let's consider them just very briefly. Jesus is the best and final word of God because of his prominence. Because of his prominence. Again, think of those previous words of God. They each can do one thing. Creation shows us God's power and majesty. The law shows us God's holiness and otherness. The prophets show us God's love and desire for relationship. But they can't do the other, right? Creation can't legislate like the law does. The law has no creative power. In fact, the law only kills, we're told. The law only, told, only tells you what you can't do. The law only tells us what we're not doing, so to speak. The, the law can't create. And the prophets, of course, could do really neither. They can't create. Uh, they can't even themselves legislate. They can only be a vehicle for God's message, that God speaks through them. They're messengers. But in Jesus, the prominent one, they all find their culmination. Jesus can do all of those things. Can he create? Of course. We're told he was there in the beginning, that the world was made through him. But also, in the, in the very life of Jesus, we see his creative power, do we not? He can speak things into existence. He can speak a word of healing. He can speak, and the, all of creation listens. He can speak, and the raging waves are still. Can Jesus legislate? Of course. What does he say? You have heard it said. You have heard it written. Moses said this, but I tell you this, right? Is Jesus a greater prophet? Is he a messenger of God? Yes, but he himself is God. So the prophets, all they can say is, thus says the Lord. They are vehicles, again, of communication, but Jesus comes down and says, but I say. He can actually speak not just on behalf of God, but he can speak 
as God. He can show God's true promises and covenant faithfulness. Again, Jesus is the prominent one where all of these things find their intersection. But Jesus is also God's best and final word by virtue of his position. Again, what's his position here in the text? Where is he coming from? The right hand of the majesty on high. Again, think of Moses who delivers the law, a great man of God. Think of Isaiah, you know, a prophet, a great messenger of God. Men of renown, holy men even, patriarchal figures in scripture. But none of them descend, none of them condescend over the great distance that Christ does. The right hand of God. Again, think of that. Just, just, it's so familiar, but think of that. That Jesus, the second person in the Godhead, the one who rightfully belongs at the right hand of the Father, rightfully belongs the right hand of the majesty on high, will condescend all the way down to a stable, all the way down to a lowly manger, Again, one who we're told later, and we know even at the cross, is able to summon at any moment legions upon legions upon legions of the heavenly host. The angelic army will condescend all the way down to one who is swaddled in a manger. In a manger. He will exchange his position in glory, his position at the right hand of the majesty on high, for again, this lowly position in a manger as a baby. You see, it's an advent that we celebrate that forlorn humanity has been graced by the divine. Think about that. I mean, think about just the reception that we give um, prominent uh, figures, uh, men and women of position in our world, right? A celebrity walks down the street, <laughs> an athlete is found in, the, in public. Think of even like the Pope, okay, right? When he goes and travels to countries, the reception, the crowds, the awe, this sense of, my goodness, someone of his or her stature is in my presence. Again, think of how awestruck you are if you were to encounter a celebrity on the street today. Run to your favorite musician, your favorite athlete, your favorite author, favorite movie star. You'd be Dumbstruck, right? Awestruck. And yet multiply that by infinity, literally, and that's what we see here. The right hand of the majesty on high, the second person of the Godhead, would come from that position all the way down to us. The one who was and who is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, came down for you and came down for me. Uh, the Christian band Third Day puts it like this in, in a song, um, uh, one of my favorite songs. It says this, I have heard it said that a man would climb a mountain just to be with the one he loves. But how many times has he broken that promise? It has never been done. I've never climbed the highest mountain, but I walked the hill of Calvary. Just to be with you, I'd do anything. There's, not, there's no price I would not pay. Just to be with you, I'd give anything. I would give my life away. I've heard it said that a man would swim the ocean to be with the one he loves. How many times has he broken that promise? It can never be done. 
I never swam the deepest ocean, but I walked upon the raging sea. Just to be with you, I'd do anything. There's no price I wouldn't pay. Just to be with you, I'd give anything. I would give my life away. Wow. We know, of course, that Advent leads to Easter, where he does literally give his life away. Before that, he gave his position away. The position of the right hand of the majesty on high to come down for you and for me. And then lastly and thirdly, Jesus is the final and the best word of God. Jesus is the punchline in the story. Again, because of his prominence, because of his position, and then lastly and thirdly, because of his purpose. Because of his purpose. Again, the song we just quoted alludes to it. The final why of Advent. But what that song alludes to, Hebrews here makes plain. That Jesus was born of woman, born under the law. That God himself was veiled in human flesh for one purpose. And that purpose is in verse 3. Read it again. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, his purpose, his singular purpose, his passion, let's call it that even, That's what we mean when we say that the passion of the Christ, his passion, his purpose was singular. Our purification. The purification of sins. And of course we know that happens because the one who is born in a stable, born under a woman, wrapped in swaddling cloths, will grow up and become a man. A law-keeping man. A perfect man. Who will, again, die on the cross. Who will atone for human sin that we might indeed be Purified, And again, think of how then that story culminates. That Jesus, the word of God, who was there in the beginning, who spoke, let there be light, will become the one who eventually says on the cross, three other words, it is finished. It is finished. And in those spoken words, the word of God communicates to all of humanity That just like there was darkness and chaos and light came in, so again has light shone in the darkness and the chaos of humanity and the world and our sin. That light has come. And that the the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Word of God then returns to his rightful place, which is the right hand of the majesty on high, and he sits down. He sits down because it has been accomplished, because it has been finished, because now we can all be welcomed back to the garden of God. You see, God here is an initiating, communicating God. He had the first word, and he also has the last word. He says, I made you, I love you, I've come to save you. Hallelujah, what a savior. Let us adore him not just this season, but forevermore. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you that you are the author, author with a capital A of the greatest story, the story of stories, capital S. We thank you again that you 
are over everything, that you are outside of time and space even. You are sovereign over every chapter of history. And Lord, we do thank you that as we are rehearsing this story, again, a story so familiar to us, we thank you that it still has power to amaze us as we contemplate all the facets of this story, as we turn the diamond that is the salvation history of the world, as we turn that diamond and look at it from every different angle and let the light hit it from every different angle, we continue to be amazed at all the facets that are there. All the facets of our salvation, every element of it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us again to ponder these things in our hearts, to ponder and to know the one who was given for us, that baby that baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, who indeed is the Savior of the world. So again, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for this Advent season. We thank you for Christmas. And again, look forward to your arrival and return for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.